Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. Always excited to invite our favorite legal beagle, lawyer, analyst, and Hoover Institution all-around great guy, Adam White. Adam, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Michael. So, uh, do you, first, first things first, any chance Gorsuch will not be the next Supreme Court justice? I'd be shocked if he's not the next Supreme Court justice. The hearings really couldn't have gone better for him and for his supporters, and, and Democrats are increasingly frustrated at their inability to, to fluster him. I, I don't know what they would fluster him over, <laughs> number one. And number two, man, what's the old saw about if you know it's better to be thought uninformed than to open your mouth and remove all doubt or whatever? You really are discovering just how little the members of the Senate Judiciary Committee know about the law. It's kind of embarrassing. Well, that's right. I, I think some of the, the, the more pathetic moments in the hearings were when Democratic senators tried to fluster him by suggesting that an originalist reading of the Constitution would, would strip out you know, equal protection for women or that, uh, or that say, women uh, are, can't become president because the Constitution uses the pronoun he. I mean, really pathetic <laughs> and silly moments. Uh, that, that Gorsuch didn't need to embarrass the senators. They were doing a perfectly good job embarrassing themselves. And Adam, I want on the record, my pronouns are G and Gier, and I expect you to accommodate me throughout this conversation. Um, Mine's actually a symbol that you can't pronounce. <laughs> so uh, there was one case, though, that the Democrats really have loved talking about and involved truck drivers. Uh, you wrote a post for the Weekly Standard about it. Tell us about it. Yeah, it's a really sad story, and um, it's one that hit close to home. My grandfather uh, was, a, was a teamster his whole life, a truck driver, in, in the basic area where this incident happened. Uh, in the, the, the case arose from an incident in, uh, in, in northeast Illinois. I grew up in Dubuque, Iowa, not far from there. And the ba- basic case was a truck driver was pulled off to the side of the road. When he tried to get back onto the road, he found that his, his brakes on the trailer were frozen. It was in January um, in, in, in Illinois, and his brakes were frozen, and he called for, for repair, and while he was waiting, he found that his bunk heater was broken, too. So he, he takes a nap, he wakes up, and he's freezing, and he fears that he might, you know, might, might freeze to death. And so uh, his dispatcher tells him to stay put by the, by the trailer and, and wait for help, but he finally does what I think anybody would do, which is drive away in his truck, disconnect the truck from the right, trailer sure. and drive away. And the legal issue in this is that the law... The federal statute at issue uh, would protect him from being fired for refusing to operate his vehicle. Refusing to operate the vehicle is the key legal term. And, um, and the, the Labor Department held that even though he drove the truck away, um, he was refusing to operate the vehicle in accordance with the instructions he'd gotten. And, and Gorsuch, Gorsuch's court affirmed the agency's ruling, but Gorsuch dissented. He said, you know, the statute says refuse to operate a vehicle. That's what's protected. And in this case, he drove his truck away. And and there were two sort of disheartening things about the Democrats' response to this. One is they really just walked past the legal analysis and turned the case into a, a soap opera. I mean, it's right. a tragic story, but, uh, but, but, but Gorsuch, I think, got the better of the law. Mm-hmm. And then what I was responding to in my commentary was legal pundits and others who criticized Gorsuch for failing to come up with better legal arguments than even the agency had in support of the agency's decision, which is just not the job of a judge. Right. In other words, we w- there's an outcome we want, and you silly, you silly man, you let the law get between what we want to have happen and, uh, and your decision. 
That's right. You think they what they wanted was for Judge Gorsuch to take off his robe, walk down from the bench, right. politely move the Labor Department lawyer aside, and argue the case better than the Labor <laughs> Department, which just isn't his job. That would be as crazy as having oh, the Chief Justice figure out a way to rewrite Obamacare in order to allow it to uh, pass uh, when it clearly was unconstitutional. But that would never happen. <laughs> right. So anyway, sad stories. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we we are in agreement that Democrats have not been able to uh, make any progress undermining support for Judge Gorsuch. We agree that he's going to be the next Supreme Court justice. So now there's this interesting proposal, Adam, from Democrats. They want to offer the Republicans a deal. We'll agree to get you the votes you need to vote on Gorsuch without breaking the filibuster. And in exchange, you agree to not break the filibuster on the next Supreme Court justice, and many people believe that's going to happen at the end of this term. That's right. This is a story that appeared, I think, this morning or late last night in Politico. Um, Listeners might recall that in the Obama administration, Harry Reid and the senators did everything they could to blow up the filibuster for lower court nominations because those were the judges they were trying to get through, especially on the D.C. Circuit Judge uh, Court. And, And after the Democrats blew up the filibuster and enabled... Obama to appoint three more judges to that court. You had people like Harry Reid and liberal pundits like Emily Bazelon crowing over the fact that getting rid of the nuclear or using the nuclear option to get rid of the filibuster allowed them to put these judges on the court. Well, now obviously they're terrified that Republicans will eliminate the judicial filibuster, uh, sorry, the, the Senate filibuster on Supreme Court nominations, and and they should be afraid because the fact is here we have a pretty uncontroversial nomination in the fact that. It's Gorsuch, a conservative originalist, uh, replacing Justice Scalia. Right? And so it really doesn't change the ideological balance of the court. Um, but the next nomination, if Trump gets another nomination, it would change the balance. If, he, if he's replacing somebody like Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg or, or Justice Anthony Kennedy. And so I think it's the more prudent Democrats realize that they really need to preserve the filibuster for that nomination. And not blow up the filibuster now. Because if they do try to filibuster just Judge Gorsuch, I almost said Justice Gorsuch, I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> if they do blow up the filibuster here, my guess is that moderate Republicans like Collins and McCain and Graham, who are less inclined to get rid of the judicial nomination filibuster, they might go along with getting rid of it over this one. If, if the next nominee is more controversial or if he's replacing a Democrat, then maybe they wouldn't get rid of it. And Democrats, I think, want to, at least some Democrats, want to lock in the filibuster for that next nomination since they know they can't stop Gorsuch now. But they're in a tight spot because they want to lock in the filibuster for whoever's going to replace, say, Kennedy or Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but then promptly get rid of it when there's a Democrat in the White House at that point. So that's that's, that's what they're trying to walk. And that would be a repeat of history, right? Republicans had considered getting rid of the judicial nomination filibuster during the Bush administration, right? Uh, Ultimately, they struck a deal, Senate Republicans and Democrats struck a deal to not get rid of the, or to keep the filibuster intact, um, but to let some nominations through. Uh, And that deal held until the next uh, the, the next Democratic president, at which point Democrats promptly got rid of the judicial filibuster. (laughs) And so Democrats are basically trying to give Republicans an offer they can't refuse, except it's an offer that we know exactly how it works out. No, it's um, not an offer, it's they, an offer they should refuse. It's an offer that, no, you'd have to be an idiot to take. I, I'm going to give yes. up something I already have 
in exchange for something that I know you're going to take from me as soon as you can. It's idiotic. Look, Gorsuch is in, period. This is all yeah. about what the Democrats want to do. But I, I want to run one last idea by you. Uh, uh, John Yu, who was in the uh, Bush administration, he's a uh, law professor out on the West Coast somewhere. He had an interesting— Berkeley. Berkeley, ooh. That's, ah, that's right. He had an interesting idea that I think I like, but you tell me if I'm missing something. And his idea is this. Look, Republicans do want the filibuster. We want to keep the filibuster. We think it's the right way to govern. But you can't unilaterally disarm and say, okay, there'll be a filibuster when we have fewer than 60 votes, but there won't be a filibuster when Democrats are in a majority with fewer than 60 votes. And so his idea is to basically do a, a filibuster clock to say, look, the filibuster was broken under Democrats for whatever, you know, three years, two days and 12 hours. So we're starting the clock when Donald Trump was sworn in. And for three days, exactly that same amount of time, we're going to operate without the filibuster. And then we're going to reinvoke it so that Democrats, you know, you can come back behind us and you can break us, break it again. But we're going to whatever you do, we're going to do the same thing. And you're going to have to live under it when you're in the minority and uh, see if that doesn't keep the filibuster in place. And if the Democrats then come behind and break it again, then the conversation's over. We'll ju- we are just in a post filibuster world. Adam White, you're the legal beagle. You're at the Hoover Institute. Is that the right thing to do? I, I think it's a I think John's instincts are correct that we want to preserve Senate institutions, but not through just unilateral disarmament on the part of Republicans over and over again, which has been the course of history. So I think John's proposal is worth thinking about. But honestly, I do think in the case of this particular institution, uh, the, the, the Senate filibuster rules, I think the trajectory of this at this point is, is, is obvious and inevitable. And at some point, the filibuster rule for Supreme Court nominations is going to go away. If Republicans don't do it, Democrats will. And so while I regret saying this, since, like I said, I, I like institutions, I do think that at this point, Republicans ought to just move forward and get Gorsuch confirmed. And if Democrats want to filibuster, then we'll have a very difficult uh, decision as a nation on whether to get rid of the filibuster for Supreme Court nominations. But I think they probably should. I think you're right, because I think we're moving to a de facto parliamentary system where the once the once the bodies of Congress abandon their place as a parallel power. They abandoned the idea of the separation of powers. Once Harry Reid made the Senate basically a parliament for the White House, then it, then the, the, the Constitution as we know it just doesn't work. And so the filibuster makes sense in a separation of power system. It makes no sense in a parliamentary system. And the Democrats showed us for most of eight years that's how they're going to operate as a parliament. You know, Michael, James Madison said, and we're talking about the separation of powers, that the interests of the man must be attached to the rights of the place. Namely, senators should think of themselves as members of the Senate, first and foremost. And we're clearly not there in yep. the way that we should be, and we should work towards reforming that. But I simply don't believe uh, that this is the, the right first step in that direction. There is no reform because, the mem- as you said, the members of the Senate have to care that they're members of the Senate. And I'm not that old, but I can remember you know, days when a, a Democrat like Robert Byrd would stand up and say, no, the Senate will not do that, even though it would benefit his own party. Those days are long gone. That's the real well, read rule, you know, despite well, what else is going let on. Let me just offer one closing thought then that, that um, while nothing is forever lost, nothing's forever gained, and I, I do think we could get the Senate back to 
wherever where it should be. But it's pretty ironic to see uh, Democrats standing up or purporting to stand up in favor of separation of powers and, and structure, uh, while at the same time they are blasting a Supreme Court nominee who, as an originalist, is more devoted to any than anybody to the structural constitution that progressives and liberals for so long denigrated and, and took apart piece by piece. Adam White, I enjoy your work so much at the Weekly Standard that sometimes I even read it. So thanks oh, so thanks, much Michael. for joining us for the podcast. <laughs> Thank you.